0: Welcome to another episode of the lines led by donkeys podcast i'm joe nick is still in japan so with me today is mike wong mike is a u.s army veteran college student and one of the starring characters from my book the hooligans of kandahar how you doing today
1: oh fantastic what's going on everybody
0: yeah uh mike is joining us from new york brooklyn right I
1: I was in Brooklyn, but I live in Queens now. Ah, okay. I'm always gonna claim to be from Brooklyn, though.
0: At least until you're priced out by Amazon.
1: Yeah, until I can't live in New York anymore. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's coming soon. I give myself at least two more years.
0: No, oh, you're generous. Mm. Uh, so uh, I I wanted Mike on with us today because we're doing something a little different. Uh, we're not going to talk about a specific person or conflict like we normally do. Uh, instead, we're going to have like a theme, and that theme is people who just cannot stay in one place for very long and always ended up as Nazis. Uh, <laughs> some of these people are well-known, but some of them really aren't, um, and one of them has to do with a pretty important person uh, from Mike's birth country of Taiwan uh, or the Republic of China. Uh, I don't mean to offend you, Mike.
1: <laughs> no, no offense taken. Uh, I I de- it depends on which economy is doing better is which country I claim to be. Ah. So as a, a, today I'm going to say Republic of China is pretty good. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh but before we jump over to Asia, we are going to talk about uh a northern European country that apparently has a conspiracy theory on the internet now that says it does not exist and that is Finland. What? Yeah, have you heard that one? It said like Finland no. doesn't exist. People actually think an entire country doesn't exist. I don't know if it's real. It might be one of the stupid like people believe the Earth is flat just because they want to be like contrary to everybody else. I don't like. It's a Reddit thing, but at the same oh, time, God. at the same time, like President Trump came from fucking four chan, so these things have real impacts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they seem to pick up steam real quick. It's like it's like shit picking up steam down a sewer and then eventually impacting the water supply somewhere. That's how I feel like. Is a good analogy for what's happening,
0: yeah, yeah, I think they just call that Flint oh yeah, that one hits close to home there. <laughs> yeah, that's why I live in Washington now, where I can just be uh poisoned from the Boeing plant instead of the city Ooh. uh, so no getting away from it <laughs> yeah, back on target here uh we're the first person we're talking about is a guy named Lori Allen Torney. Uh, Lori Torni was born in Valpuri, Finland in 1919 to a ship captain father and a homemaker mother. Uh, now he was born with an interesting part of Finnish history about one year removed from the end of world war one, as well as the Finnish civil war as they broke away from the dying Russian empire who was caught in the throw of the Bolshevik revolution and the Russian civil war. Uh, interestingly enough, Finland actually elected a king and then attempted to stand up a kingdom before all those came crashing down in less than a year. um, and that's the, the the situation that he was born in. Um, mm-hmm. And Torney himself was renowned across his hometown for being something of a natural born athlete and even trained with a future boxing gold medalist named Sten Stuvio, which sounds like a gold medal boxing game. Like this sounds like somebody that uh, Rocky would fight. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds kind
1: of like royalty, too. It sounds like he should be fighting with the crown.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. King of the ring. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, it seemed that no matter what Tony picked up, he would be better at it than just about everybody else. Um, he was probably like the shithead you went to school with that you fucking hated. Like, if you got a C on a test, this dude got an A. He had a Leatherman jacket. He'd fuck, he had frosted tips. Uh, like, oh, God. Yeah. He fucked your girlfriend. He, he, he was the guy that nobody liked, but everybody wanted to be effectively. And that's something nice. that he would be good at like his entire life, which makes him even <clears> more like makes me hate him even more.
1: Yeah, I used to secretly hate hate those type of guys, but I hate them much more openly now. It's just the stain has grown throughout the years.
0: Yeah, yeah, because they end up having jobs that impact your everyday life and make you hate them even more. Exactly. Um, They've got it all. Yeah, and you know they don't have to worry about losing their apartment. Uh, after. Mm. So after graduating school, he joined the Finnish Civil Guard, which actually got its start as the uh, in the Finnish Civil War as an anti-communist militia. Uh this would kind of impact Torney's life, uh as you'll find out. Um it was known as the White Guard, like their white army anti-communist friends bordering the uh in bordering Russia. Uh post-war, however, nobody's really sure what their job was. Uh they weren't a reserve or a national guard. So instead they just hung around and organized sporting events like some kind of weird ass militant YMCA. <laughs> Uh, uh, this guard was so uh like un- unorganized that that actually they actually made them buy everything uh themselves to include their own rifle like you just showed up one day with nothing and they gave you nothing like well come back when you have money kid oh god yeah uh eventually though tony came of age and enlisted in the finnish regular army uh joining the 4th Independent Jaeger Infantry Battalion in 1939. Uh, Generally, Jaeger at the time was uh, a catch-all term for light infantry and scouts and things like that. Um, Okay. He did small unit stuff. Um, Like most people, he was probably expecting to do his national service in peace, but instead the Soviet Union invaded a year later to start the Winter War. So he doesn't have good luck. Uh, Uh, He probably
1: wanted to use a GI Bill too and get out and go to college.
0: Yeah, Uh, got stuck,
1: got stuck in the middle of a war. It sounds like a familiar story.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately for him, the Finnish government extended his enlistment contract indefinitely once Russia invaded. (laughs) Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, He got Finnish stop lost. Uh, Uh, Torney found himself smack dab in the middle of the invasion around the Lagoda Lake area of Karelia, which is like the whole part that the Soviet Union wanted. Um, mm. this, this, there was a single Finnish division stationed there and they found themselves outnumbered nearly five to one. Oh, no. Um, and as something that would become pretty common during the Winter War, the numbers really didn't matter. Uh, Torny and his Finns totally fucked up the Soviets in every single way. Uh, Torny himself led, uh, This to the surround surrounding and destruction of an entire Soviet army division, which would actually go on to be one of the Finnish tactics of the war. Um, The fast, light Finnish forces, which didn't really have any heavy weaponry to speak of, would pick apart the massive slow moving columns of the Red Army before surrounding and destroying it bit by bit, like kind of breaking it up into small pockets and taking them on one at a time.
1: Is it kind of like guerrilla warfare?
0: Yeah, effectively. And uh, there's <laughs> there's huh. actually like an ad- anecdote of they would purposely go out of their way to make life for the Soviet troops miserable. Like they would target their kitchens and stuff in the field so they'd have Ooh. nothing to eat. And then they would freeze to death uh, as they blew up their their like clothes depots and stuff.
1: Yeah, I kind of wish they, they had blown up our kitchen when, uh, when we were <laughs> deployed together. I, I think we could have gotten out of some food poisoning.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we would have significantly less energy drinks, which would have been a problem.
1: I don't know how I would have survived without rivets.
0: Yeah. They're, they're the fuel that uh, actually led the war, not JPA. Exactly. Uh, Tony was recognized for his actions and given a battlefield promotion and then sent off to officers training Academy. He graduated as a second Lieutenant. Unfortunately for the young Torney, who was really only good at war, uh, the Finns signed a peace deal to end the winter war before he graduated and could return to battle um that's when things got weird though uh the Finns during world war ii made some strange allies and one of those was nazi germany um and it wasn't because they were fascists uh, although that can be argued that uh mannerheim was kind of fashy uh Mm -hmm. it it was more of a defense thing um it's fascism light yeah uh like diet fascism finland knew the soviet union was going to attack them again And the only people in the neighborhood that wanted to help them against the Soviets was Nazi Germany. So it was was an alliance of self-defense.
1: I see. It's kind of like an enemy of my enemies, my friend type deal.
0: Right. And, you know, that would be underlined significantly more in a couple of years, which we'll talk about. Um, And Mm -hmm. they briefly go to war against each other also. um, Oh, man. But one of those things that that they did uh, to become closer was like an officer's exchange program. Um, and during that piece, Torney was part of that. He traveled to Vienna, Austria for seven weeks and began training with the Waffen SS. He would officially gain the rank of Untersturmführer, which is like the SS version of second lieutenant. Um, and this, nice. this wasn't like um, ceremonial. He was officially commissioned as a Waffen SS officer and a pit, an official picture exists of him in the death's head uniform. Oh man. Can yeah. wrote that down. Yeah. Uh, you, Probably shouldn't be able to live that down. That's that's
1: crazy. So so what happened next?
0: Uh, So the peace between the two countries would only be about 15 months. Um, After the Germans launched Operation Barbarossa, the invasion of Russia for people not aware, uh, Finland uh, decided to join in uh, because they wanted to recapture the territory they lost in the Winter War. Uh yeah. so they invaded as well. Their goal was to recapture Karelia, a province they were forced to cede in exchange for peace. Um and it was kind of like a World War One piece. It was so brutal that um uh, it, war was inevitable. Karelia was thirty mm. percent of the Finnish economy. So oh, there's no way they could live that down. Um and this is now mm. known as the continuation war because there was such a pause between the two wars they might as well just, you know, blend mm. them into one. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh Torny's individual unit, uh which was I you can't necessarily call them special forces. They were <laughs> light, they were light infantry, but they're kind of mm-hmm. they operated in small unit tactics, guerrilla war type stuff, um, but it was what they were good at. Um they were okay. they were so devastating to the Soviet army that the Red Army placed a bounty of three million Finnish marks on his head. Um oh. the closest converter I could find, because the Finnish mark doesn't exist anymore and hasn't for some time. Yeah. Um, equals to be about a half million dollars
1: that's a lot of rubles
0: for for some random finnish second lieutenant
1: <laughs> yeah that's a lot of rubles right there you must have pissed somebody off
0: yeah uh he was actually eventually uh, awarded the Mannerheim cross which is the highest award in uh the finnish army so it's you know their medal of honor um mm. this officially made him a knight Oh, now now he's actually
1: real, oh, nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, eventually, though, this war would end as well. The Moscow Armistice was signed between the Soviets and the Finns in 1944. Um, again, the armistice wasn't super nice to Finland, but it was better than being invaded by the entire post-German Red Army, uh, which mm-hmm. is now no longer being destroyed by purges. Uh, fueled by lens leases. Now they're, you know, they're fully mechanized. You don't want to fight that red army. It's a completely different red army than the winter war. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, a part of the armistice was the expulsion of all German forces from Finnish land. Um, obviously the Germans weren't really keen on that and they refused to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, for good reason. I mean, they owned a flank of Russia effectively, not that the Germans were going to be able to invade again, but you know, there could be a thorn in their side. Yeah, of course. Uh, so with the Germans refusing to leave, the Finns launched another war, this one against the Germans, and it was called the Lapland War oh. uh, to kick forcibly kick the Germans out. Um, after the La-
1: I wonder if he had to take off his uh, SS Waffen uniform when they finally declared war again.
0: You know, nobody really seemed to mind that. Um, uh, Torney fought against the Germans, too. Uh, oh. Which is which will become uh, ironic very quickly here in about a year and a half. Um, after the Lapland War ended in 1945, uh, Torney and most of the rest of the Finnish army was demobilized. Uh, it was also mm-hmm. part of the armistice, which kind of seems like a trap to me, but the Soviets left Finns alone. For um, good? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but 20 wasn't done. Uh, you see whether it be through weird twisted loyalty to the SS or because he hated the Soviets this much, he skipped Finland and, uh, rejoined the SS in 1945, uh, to fight near Schwer, Germany. Um, Mm. and if you notice that the, the date there, this is pretty much just about the end of the war. Um, he surrendered to American forces in June, so he he really only fought with this with the SS for a couple months. Um, he was placed in a British POW camp, which he then quickly escaped and ran back to Finland. Um, that'll be another claim
1: where he claimed to be Finnish once again.
0: Yes, yeah, he's he's Finnish of convenience. Um, yeah. The small problem, though, is he was a literal card-carrying Nazi now, and that was illegal as fuck in Finland. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And this actually wasn't illegal before, uh, again, because they were allies. But part of the armistice with the Soviets was, uh, like, you have to, A, make the Communist Party illegal again, and, Mm -hmm. and B, get rid of all the fascists, which included people who trained trained and joined the SS. So that meant... um, Twenty attorney guy had to go. Yeah, that meant Tony was quickly arrested and put on trial for treason. Um, uh, now, normally when you think of this in history, like he was put on trial for treason, um, this is normally where I say something like, and then he was shot or and then he was hung. Um, but he wasn't. <laughs>
1: there's no no happy ending to this story?
0: Uh, no. Uh, instead, he was sent to just six years in prison.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's, I've seen people get get longer charges for like a bag of weed. That's yeah. insane.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- this is. It kind of speaks that the Finns really didn't care about getting rid of all the uh, the Nazi sympathizers. Um, they're just yeah, doing it to appease the Soviets. Um, but since this is Tony, we're talking about, and he just escaped the POW camp, he escaped prison again. Um, nice. But he was caught this time and sent back to prison a second time.
1: Uh, I I've got to be wondering, like, how is he getting out of these prison camps? Does he have some sort of special skill? Is he? people have got to reevaluate when he escapes prison, like the second time. Yeah. And they're, they're in prison. They're doing it wrong. Obviously.
0: Um, he, I don't know. He's just fucking crafty, man. And and you have to realize mm. Torney is like almost a household name in Finland. He's a war hero. So, oh, okay. So he probably had some help. <laughs> oh, gotcha. And, uh, because of those two things, um, he was actually given a presidential pardon in 1948. Uh, oh. <laughs> so they kind of forgave him for the whole treason so, thing.
1: He got off scot-free.
0: Uh, not quite. Um, even though he got a presidential pardon, he was still kind of frowned on uh, for effectively um, joining Finland's enemies. Because, you know, the, mm. the Finns lost thousands of people fighting in the Lapland War, which yeah. which then he, he went and joined the Nazis. So he wasn't really liked much after that. Mm. And uh, like many Nazis post-World War II, he ran to Latin America, where he ran to several of his army buddies. Um, oh boy! Yeah, he went to Brazil. Unlike <clears throat> a lot of people who went to like Argentina or whatever, he went to Brazil. Uh, apparently, okay. it's it's more agreeable to the, to the Finnish war criminals. Um, apparently, the the Latin life wasn't for him. However, because uh, he quickly went and got a, a job on a boat called the MS Skagen, and uh-huh. one, and once it was in the Gulf of Mexico, he quickly jumped overboard and swam to shore in Florida.
1: <laughs> this is this is uh, this is ending up to be like that show Prison Break.
0: It gets dumber uh because he actually um, from Florida he like uh hitchhiked his way up to New York and worked in New York as an undocumented immigrant for quite some time. Wow. Uh and in 1954 he enlisted in the US Army. So there is a provision uh at the time called the Lodge Filbin Act. Which yeah. allowed for foreign nationals to join the u s military um, now the the act was effectively uh not necessarily like it wasn't in the text but it was meant for f- people from Eastern Europe to join the military uh because okay. th- this is you know, height of the cold war type shit. And the, the idea of, of, of a war against the Soviet union is very, very, very real. So they right. wanted, they wanted something of like an American foreign legion made out of all these satellite states to be like the liberating <laughs> army.
1: So they they wanted like the inside scoop on these guys,
0: right? They want, they needed people who spoke the language. They needed people who knew the cultures and the customs and everything. Um, Torney was none of those things. And he actually <laughs> should have been uh strictly barred from, um, from joining through the Philbin act. Now he got through on, on a loophole and that was the act forbade German nationals or countries involved in the Marshall plan from enlisting. Right. Um, uh, this is for the sole purpose. They didn't want to accidentally recruit Nazis. Right. <laughs> now 20 was never technically given uh, German citizenship and due to the way Finland negotiated their way out of world war II, uh, he, and Finland wasn't part of the, the Marshall plan, he was exempt from both of these clauses. Um, and citizenship was promised to all of these enlistees after five years of service. It was kind nice. of, it, yeah, it was <laughs> kind of like uh, the French foreign Legion. You get French citizenship after five years of service. Um, okay. Just to be safe though. So nobody caught on to who he was. Uh, he changed his name to Larry Thorne. Wow. Um, there's a lot of people who are listening right now who have never heard of Thorny, but the name probably piqued their interest because he's something of a green beret legend. Uh, which he probably Fought doesn't off. yeah which he probably <laughs> he probably doesn't deserve and we'll go into that um and in case you're okay. wondering if this lodge Philbin Act sounds like a really good way for immigrants to get american citizenship well it expired in 1959 it was never resigned <laughs> so no it doesn't exist so, anymore
1: so let me get this straight he, the last uniform you put on was a was a waffen ss uniform and then the following uniform was a green beret
0: uh, well, he was a basic infantry guy at first. Um, also, oh, okay. yeah. And there's no saying that the U.S. military did not know 20s past. Um, okay. The wartime OSS, or the precursor of the modern CIA, have been tracking yeah. his exploits since his service in the Winter War. They knew that who this guy was. Okay. Um, his official U.S. Army record even mentions his time as an officer in the Waffen-SS. Wow. <laughs>
1: Um now Can you imagine that showing up on your DD214 just did your, your time spent in the, yeah. In the SS.
0: Yeah, nothing uh, follows. Now there there's a good reason why I bring this up. Um this is because the US government labeled the SS a criminal organization during the Nuremberg trials in 1945. Um the right. the only people exempt from this label were SS conscripts of which there were hundreds of thousands from mm-hmm. 1943 onwards. Um, not only was Torney not a conscript, he was a foreign volunteer, which yeah. <laughs> which normally meant a death sentence in, in battle if he was captured. Um but Right. makes sense. Yeah. Um there's actually an SS unit made out of French volunteers called SS Charlemagne. And uh, mm. they actually were one of the last units to fall apart during the defense of Berlin because they knew what would happen if they were captured. <laughs> oh, they're, oh. all, they're all going to be killed yeah they they knew they weren't going to be like sent to a pow camp the french were gonna we gonna kill them if they went back yeah. home and most of the, i think like out of the 60 survivors half of them are executed by the french government so like yikes yeah that's normally what happened from foreign volunteers, um, but mm-hmm. the U.S. was balls deep in the Cold War, and they had all kinds of Nazi war criminals in the military and the government. Um, I mean, the, the entire rocket program that we sent people to space on was Nazi yeah. science. So we weren't shy about this. We just needed somebody who had a decent record of killing communists, and that was Torney's favorite hobby. Mm. Um, as Torney was an yeah, incredibly highly trained soldier already, he quickly rose above everybody else and joined the U.S. Special Forces. Um, like the SS, he was quickly sent to officer's candidate school and became an officer in the third military of his career. Wow. Yeah. Um, <sighs> now, if you were to think, uh, if you look at the time, where do you think he's going to apply his trade next?
1: I mean, he started in Finland, and then he worked for, for the Nazis, and now he's a Green Beret. So, I don't know, space? I, 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 that's the last, the last space Nazis. Uh
0: he, Well, before that, he was sent to Vietnam in 1963. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, he spent his time training Montagnard anti-communist militias, which was the original Green Beret purpose, and found himself caught in the middle of Tian Bien, and in true Nazi action movie fashion, he was wounded twice, but was integral to the <laughs> camp not being overran. He was awarded the Bronze Star for his service and immortalized in the famed Robin Moore book, The Green Berets.
1: What? That, that was him?
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, they change wow. his name in the book, uh, but there's a, a very Finnish man in the book with a different name that's very obviously Larry Thorne. Oh, uh, okay. Um, and this is where things get dark. Now, I have to point out, Things have not gotten darker, already. No. Uh, so there is no evidence. I, I keep calling him a war criminal, but that's because technically all SS people are war criminals. Uh, right. They're a criminal organization. Um, so there is no evidence during his service with the SS or the Finnish army that he took part in any atrocities. None. There's no evidence. So mm. he quickly made up for that in Vietnam. Oh, boy. Uh, so on h- on his second tour in Vietnam in 1965, he played a founding role in a unit that a lot of people may have heard of. That is the Military Assistance Command Vietnam Studies and Observation Group, or MACV SOG. Oh, man. Um, now, this unit existed before Torney got there, but Torney literally wrote the book th- of their tactics and procedures. That's right. Oh, one, of, one of the most famed special forces units in American history was fine-tuned by a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, fuck! Uh, while, like I said, he took and part of no SS war crimes that we are aware of. He <laughs> made up for all this by being one of the founding minds of the Phoenix program. Uh, uh, what is that? So the Phoenix program. I'm glad you asked, Mike. It is probably (laughs) one of the largest black eyes on America for the entire Vietnam War. (laughs) Oh,
1: shit. It's got to be pretty bad then.
0: So the Phoenix program was a CIA-led mission during the Vietnam War that was meant to cut off the political support for the North Vietnamese government and the Viet Cong in South Vietnam. They, They did this through targeted killings and massacres. Torture was widespread, and it was described by author Douglas Valentine as, quote, Rape, gang rape, rape using eels, snakes, or hard objects, and then rape followed by murder. Electric shock just, rendered they just by really attaching wires. Like
1: rape, they just love that rape.
0: Oh, it gets worse. Um, oh man! Electric shock rendered by attaching wires to the genitals or other sensitive parts of the body, like the tongue. Then there is the water treatment and the airplane, in which the prisoners' arms were tied behind their back, and the rope looped over a hook on the ceiling and suspended the prisoner in midair after which um, he or she was beaten, beaten with rubber hoses and whips and used for police dogs to maul. Oh my God. Um, this was So the whole point of the program was obviously the regu- regular army was fighting um, the Viet Cong. And the CIA thought, well, the Viet Cong wouldn't exist without support. So the CIA attacked the support channels, which is semantics for saying they attacked the civilians who supported the Viet Cong. Right, right and this included yeah. all the, like the viet Cong, uh communist leaders in the area all the the, the village chiefs things like that um by the so end we weren't trying to
1: win any hearts and minds here
0: no no this was like straight up um like the the closest parallel to this we can see uh in, in other wars recently is like the Soviet war in Afghanistan, where they just thought, uh, since the Taliban or it wasn't the Taliban at the time, but since the Mujahideen drew the v- vast majority of their support from the countryside, we'll just kill everybody right. in the countryside. <laughs> and that was kind of their idea. Um, Effective strategy. right. So by 1972, it is estimated that this program killed 80,000 people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Torney made up for that. <laughs> Um, And war atrocities on war
1: atrocities. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Uh, Torney took part in infiltration missions uh, where he would chart out the Ho Chi Minh Trail so it could be more easily attacked by aircraft. Um, And one of those missions would be his last. Mm -hmm. In October 1965, Torney was aboard a South Vietnamese helicopter where it went down 25 miles from Da Nang. Rescue teams were unable to find the crash site and he was declared missing in action. He wasn't discovered until 1999. Um, so he finally died, uh, three, three militaries in, and, uh, one Phoenix program later.
1: He, he died doing what he loved.
0: Yeah. And that's
1: all, that's all we can ask for.
0: Uh, so if you were to say, um, uh, this man's legacy, do you think he's thought of well, or like kind of swept over the rug?
1: I, I mean, I, the fact that I've never heard of this guy, I, I think it's kind of been swept over the rug a little bit, or swept under the rug a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, can't, I can't believe that.
0: I, I i hate to be the one to burst your bubble, Mike. Um, so Major Larry Thorne is buried in Arlington National Cemetery in Section 60, Tombstone Number 8136. He also enjoys something of a heroic reputation to this day and is recently prayed by some shitty vet bro companies on Facebook. Wow. Um, he is also honored in the form of the Larry Thorne Award, which is awarded to the best special forces detachment. <laughs> wow. Uh, also, well, I, right before we went on air, I was curious if I could find anything from like an official military website uh, about him. Yeah. And the U.S. European Military Command official website has an article entitled The Ideal Green Beret. That's about him. <laughs>
1: Uh, let <laughs> me let me guess they don't they don't list all of his other accomplishments before the green beret though
0: uh you know the interesting part is they don't shy away from it they yep he was definitely in the german oh. army uh now a lot of people like to say the german army rather than the ss but he was not yeah. in, he was not in the wehrmacht like our next yeah. two people
1: uh, <laughs> no nah, he was up there jesus
0: yeah. um, Christ. i'm gonna go on a limb here and say uh if a photo exists of you in full Waffen-SS dress regalia, you should probably not be celebrated, given a spot in Arlington, and given a spot nope. in the Vietnam War Memorial, which he also has.
1: That's, you shouldn't even get likes on, on Instagram on, with, with a picture like that. Yeah, and I That's really, crazy.
0: Yeah, and I really wish I could find this shitty vet bro company. I, like, they try to make a t-shirt out of them or something, and I, can't, I couldn't find it. I think they finally realized their, I don't know, it's probably their brand, but um, Sofrep, if I don't know if you've ever heard of them, uh, Sofrep. Mm -hmm. they're a really really shitty vet bro like news like they like to call themselves like a news agency um they're they're the website that first published the uh like the gopro footage of the special forces soldiers being killed in niger okay uh they still openly praise him quite a bit
1: Uh, (laughs) there's a lot of kooky vet groups out there so yeah Yeah. don't praise nazis Yeah, don't praise Nazis. And a lot of the support for for current day Nazis is coming from those, you know, right-wing groups that Right. They're kind of fishy. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. There's there's a lot of dog whistling going on there. Like, there's a mm-hmm. reason why you keep pra- praising some dude that was in the SS, man. Yeah, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be happening in 2018. Yeah, yeah, you would think that. Um so that is the the tale of Larry Thorne. And our next story brings us all the way to Korea, uh, nice. to a tiny peasant rail yard Worker named Yang Kyung Jung. Uh, I probably fucked that up. Uh, no, that's pretty good. That's pretty close. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> so Yang was born in the Japanese protectorate of Korea sometime around 1920. Uh, mm-hmm. Because records weren't kept really good in uh, in Japanese colonial territories, that yeah, record of his life is pretty spotty. Also, it helps that he was declared dead like 50 years before he died. But we'll get into that. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, Yang was born to a desperately poor family and, as such, went through uh, to northern Manchuria to work in the Japanese railway industry. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Japanese thought their Korean subjects were uh, subhuman, uh, so life was pretty terrible. And most Mm -hmm. of the time, he was not paid, nor was he allowed to leave once he got there. So things aren't Mm -hmm. looking good for Yang. uh, And he is hardly an adult at this point. I think he's like 15 or 16.
1: That's a hard knock life right there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, just because he was a subhuman Korean doesn't mean he wasn't too good to die for the emperor. Because in mm. uh, 1938, Yang, like tens of thousands of other ethnic Koreans, was forced into the military service with the Kwantung Army. Uh, now, the Kwantung Army, it was technically a, a, an army group of the Imperial Japanese uh, Army. Uh, kind of. Uh, <laughs> they weren't ran that way. Um, in reality, it was a totally independent army being ran by its commanders. Like they were like the emperor themselves. Uh, they would act. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They were, Jesus. Uh, they attempt the army itself attempted multiple coups against civilian government in Japan and attempt to return the emperor to absolute power. Um, some of these were actually during world war two themselves. So, <laughs> Oh wow. Yeah. They had very little Never accountability. Yeah. Uh, so, Uh, Dan Carlin did a pretty good overview of the Kwantung Army in a recent episode of his show, Mm -hmm. but uh, it is really weird. It's like if a random army battalion in the U.S. Army today just decided to completely run itself and start its own wars and everything. That was the Kwantung Mm -hmm. Army. Jesus. And they're trying to
1: they're trying to install the uh, the emperor back back in. Is that what you're saying?
0: Right. Like the the emperor existed uh, already. Like Mm -hmm. this is the Showa age. So Emperor Hirohito is 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 already there. Uh, but yeah, he had like there's a prime minister. There's a whole uh detail of of the parliament that they have. That uh, oh okay yeah he wasn't really in charge um as much as a lot of people like to think uh he was influential certainly but the the Japanese emperor was not an absolute ruler. Uh, okay. He, he was kind like of used by one people in another. Like, yeah. Well, more powerful than the queen. He's like. Okay. Uh, I don't know, I'll give him one step above the queen. Okay. But he absolutely knew. Like, complete side note here. He definitely knew about all the Japanese war crimes during World War <laughs> <He was> Two. <just, laughs> he, he was just given a pass. Yeah. Um, uh, the army actually. So it, one of the the founding reasons that or that started the. Um, the the China the second sino-japanese war which would also eventually fold into world war 2 was mm-hmm. the uh, the takeover takeover of manchuria uh, where they would uh, install a puppet empire called the empire of manchukuo that happened just okay. before world war 2 um mm-hmm. the kwantung army did all of that on their own without even talking to the government oh, wow uh so they also installed several of their commanders in high positions of the Japanese government. Um, there's a guy named Shishiro Itagaki who became Minister of Defense, pretty much a space in the fact that he was a Kwantung army commander mm-hmm, and mm. another guy that more more people probably heard of uh, named Hideki Tojo as prime minister mm-hmm. so yeah, they have some pull um, yeah yeah uh, in case you were wondering uh what kind of terrible shit army uh happened in 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 korea that these guys did both of those guys were hung for war crimes so <laughs> it's not a good army uh, a, yeah it's not a good start there no um, so yang was caught in the middle of all of this uh and this is despite the fact he did not speak any japanese whatsoever uh, mm-hmm. Japanese military basic training at the time was so ruthless; it was actually blamed for a lot of the cruelty they showed people later on. They fought throughout history. Uh, tra- that makes sense. Yeah, uh, training was f- uh, framed in like the 18th century Prussian style, uh, where skill was secondary to individual sh- soldiers' discipline, um, hmm. and they got that through frequent and severe beatings for the smallest problems. Uh, Jesus. I imagine this problem uh, or this kind of like problem solving would be difficult for a young Korean person who doesn't understand the orders being screamed at him. Yeah. He he probably doesn't even understand why he's getting beaten. Yeah. So you can imagine that Yang had the dog shit beat out of him quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Uh, Within the Japanese military, the Kwantung army had something of a reputation of being nearly unbeatable on the field of battle. Um, mm. This had to do with them not really fighting any army of note until uh, they ran smack dab into the sleeping superpower of the Soviet Red Army. Um, now, the two sides were not actually at war, uh, but the border between the Manchurian Puppet Empire and the Soviet Union was largely uncharted and both kind of disagreed where it began and ended. So they shot at mm. each other quite a bit over the border. Mm. Uh, while regular nations and uh, and you know like the governments would probably want to like talk this whole thing out, the Kwantung Army really only believed in fighting in, as a form of discipline and and, and diplomacy. So they decided to they, try to push the Soviets out.
1: <laughs> they sound like the original Spartans—no diplomacy, just just ass kicking.
0: Yeah, except they wore clothes on like th- in Wait. 300, and they were significantly less cool because there's a whole bunch of poor peasant kids who didn't speak the language being drafted. <laughs>
1: And significantly less oiled bodies.
0: Yeah, you you would hope so, because it's really cold up there. The oil would just freeze to them. (laughs)
1: Exactly. (laughs)
0: Um, Now, there's a a small uh, reason why the Kwantung Army thought it was a good idea to pick on the Soviets. Um, The local NKVD commander actually defected over to the Japanese side and told them that the Red Army was completely falling apart due to all the political purges um, that were going on. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is around the same time that uh Stalin got really paranoid and started shooting pretty much every lieutenant who looked at him wrong. So, yeah. so there wasn't really a lot of command and control in the Red Army. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had several small clashes before they finally threw down in a major battle. Uh, now, reminder: this whole time, they're not actually at war. Um, this devolved into the Battle of Kalkin Gol, uh, which the Soviet. Red Army was joined by the Mongolian Red Army and they fought the Kwantung Army in a border conflict that involved north of 100,000 men of both sides. (laughs) That's a shit ton of people. Yeah. Uh, so And the Red Army was... uh, They had their issues, but they were also being commanded by Soviet legend Georgi Zhukov who would go on to take Berlin a couple years Mm -hmm. later. So they had a pretty decent commander in charge. Mm -hmm. So it turned out Uh, The Kwantung army was not ready for fighting an actual army. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what amounted to a total defeat, the army lost around 10,000 people killed, another 8,000 wounded, and 3,000 captured. Um, Now, Japanese military doctrine completely forbade surrender of any kind. Uh, So if you surrendered, like those 3,000 people who were captured, they just told your family that you died to save them any desire. (laughs) What the fuck? Yeah, like, yep, he's dead. And like, that's it. Uh, so that's why, uh, Yang was declared dead, uh, because he was, uh, captured. He was one of the 3000 POWs, uh, mm-hmm. thankfully for Yang. However, he was captured when the two sides weren't at war as opposed to being captured a few years later when it probably would have been a death sentence. Cause the Soviets right. were worse to their POWs than virtually anybody else. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. instead he was just sent to a Siberian gulag, which is somehow better, I guess. <laughs> Well, he got to keep his life, yeah, and, slightly better. And he was used to awful slave labor because he worked for the Japanese before this. So, like, there was probably nobody more prepared for a gulag.
1: Oh, he's already used to the beatings. I mean, that's that's part of his daily routine
0: now. Yeah, just substitute in people screaming Russian at him and Japanese, and he's he didn't move. He's still exactly. where he was.
1: It's not like he understood either people anyway.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that's where he stayed until 1942. So he did some time. Jesus. That's when the Red Army came calling. Uh, now, the Red Army had all but collapsed in the face of uh, Stalinist purges and the, Ger- uh, the German operation of Operation Barbarossa. Uh, so they needed pretty much any warm body they could get their hands on. That's where Wei- uh, Yang came into their plans. And he was given a rifle, a different uniform, and shoved off to the front line again. Uh, oh, boy. If he disagreed, uh, it didn't really matter. Uh, the only, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it doesn't uh, say whether he was like cool sign me up or he understood what was <laughs> happening again like i'm g- being given a rifle again i don't understand um uh, yeah. just for a second imagine how fucking confused this dude was first he was uh first by the japanese uh he, now he's being yelled at by some soviet commissar in a second language he doesn't understand
1: yeah like so, so wait i've been a prisoner this entire time with my daily beatings, and now you're gonna
0: give me a gun
1: yeah oh, okay okay all right let's see how this plays out
0: yeah and you know yang was one of probably hundreds of thousands of people forced into service this way uh like there was germans who ended up fight. there was actually um an interesting story of an american who ended up fighting with the red army uh mm. who which is not included in this episode because the episode already got too long but yeah mm-hmm. he was uh wounded and put in a german pow camp which was then liberated by the soviets and then he joined the soviet red army for like six months
1: hmm
0: And then he met uh, Georgi Zhukov in a hospital because he got wounded again and was really curious about the guy who spoke no Russian. And that's when he told him the story. And then uh, Zhukov realized how bad that looked and immediately sent him to the nearest American embassy to be repatriated.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So there's a happy ending for this story, at least.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, So much like his time in the Red Army uh, or his time in the Red Army, much like his time in the Kwantung Army would be brief. But once again, he would find himself in the middle of a giant meat grinder before the end. Um, uh, And that was the third battle of Kharkov, uh, where the Soviets were trying everything they could to take the pressure off the encircled Stalingrad. Uh, And what they really did was grind their armies down to about as as few as one to two thousand combat effective soldiers per division. Uh, Yeah, which is, you know, on brand for the Soviets. Uh, The Germans knew this and launched their push to retake the city of Kharkov. Yang was mm-hmm. one of around a half million Soviet soldiers caught in the middle of it all. Um, over the course of the next several months, almost 90,000 of them would be dead. Fighting in the city would be brutal hand-to-hand, room-to-room affairs that were kind of uh, reminiscent of what they describe in Stalingrad, where like mm-hmm. people would re- try to retake the kitchen from the living room type stuff. Oh, shit. Yeah.
1: yeah. Wasn't that the Soviet way to just throw bodies at a problem. And oh, so it, yeah.
0: It, yeah. That it, was their main the material.
1: Well, they run out of bodies.
0: Yeah yeah and then they can just dip back into the prison camps um mm-hmm. and because this oh, is yeah. the eastern front very few prisoners who were taken a al- uh, were taken were kept alive uh, most yeah. of them died horrible horrible deaths um mm-hmm. and if you're t- if you're paying any attention you know who one of those prisoners who got lucky was our boy yang <laughs> uh it, dude he's like a korean version of Forrest Gump just tripping over his dick through major parts of history at this point. <laughs> Cause you have to imagine he has no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm.
1: He's just trying to finish the race at this point.
0: Yeah. He's like, uh, now I'm getting like, I don't understand who you people are, but you know, you didn't shoot me. So I think that means we're friends. Yeah. Yeah. Just
1: got to keep running.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that was how Yang was, uh, drafted into his third army of the war.
1: <laughs> Jesus
0: Christ. Uh, so Uh, There's a reason for that. Um, By 1943, the Nazis would take almost anybody to get their hands on, uh, not to mention former Soviets into the army who would be like propaganda wins. Uh, Mm. They would be framed as like free Soviet men wanting to liberate their former country from the despot Stalin.
1: Um, No one realized that one of their, you know, captured Soviet guys looks suspiciously Asian.
0: Well, that's the thing is there's a lot of people in the Soviet Union who were Asian, uh, like Central oh. Central Asian Republics, like Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. like. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. I mean, you remember Manas. They, I mean, they're not saying <laughs> that Koreans and, and Kyrgyz look the same, but to an untrained racist Nazi, they totally mm-hmm.
1: do. Well, to, to a Chinese eye, when I was in Manas, I was confused as fuck, too. I was like, <laughs> what are my people doing here? I don't, I, what part of China is this?
0: Yeah. And they probably just expect like they probably just thought he was just some Central Asian Soviet guy and not, not, not okay. a Korean. Um, I gotcha. Yeah. And it's not like of them knew how to speak fucking Korean. So there's like whatever, go into this unit. And that's yeah. where he went. Uh, so the Germans founded what they called the Eastern Battalions or the Austruppen. Uh Yang okay. served alongside people from pretty much every nation of the Soviet bloc. Most mm. of them ex- uh, joined the Wehrmacht to escape horrible POW camps. Um, and that's he was in the Wehrmacht, not the SS. There was several mm. people there. I mean, there was a lot of Eastern European people who were drafted into the SS, but the yeah, vast yeah. majority of them are like from Latvia, Estonia, uh, Ukraine, stuff like that. Uh, most of the Asian looking dudes were putting the OST troop in. Mm. OK, Um all of those people were probably really confused when a Korean showed up because he didn't speak any of their languages. <laughs> and there was actually another type of German unit that foreigners went into called the Ost legions. Um, mm-hmm. And there was actually like an Armenian legion, a Georgian legion, shit like that. Uh, those were That made sounds up, meaner. Yeah. Uh, that sounds meaner for some
1: reason. Yeah. I'm when a legion.
0: Yeah. When you slap legion at the end of anything, it sounds bad. I'm in a dentist legion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds awful. They probably work yeah, at demo. That, they uh, probably give you cavities. Yeah. Uh, th- those legions were made up exclusively of volunteers from certain countries. So that's why he was put into like the kaleidoscope units. Uh, which is interesting because that means those battalions were integrated. Right. Uh, which actually makes the Nazis one step more progressive than the U.S. Army at the time. Uh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> The U S army
1: was, was not very progressive at this time. That oh no.
0: Like, uh, like if you, one of the most highly decorated, uh, units of the war was a unit made of specifically Japanese Americans, uh, because nobody trusted oh. them enough to serve in other units. Uh, really? Yeah. And they were sent to Europe rather than the, the Pacific theater for that exact reason. Um,
1: well, because they thought they couldn't trust
0: them when right. they got too close to home. That's, well, that's bananas. You have to think: where did the vast majority of those recruits come from? Internment camps. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, you got a good point. Yeah, a, good point. Uh, a lot of them uh, were like they're they're there's pictures of them like going home on leave, but they were only allowed mm. to go back to the internment camps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's terrible. Uh, and at the same time, of course, like black people weren't allowed to serve uh, alongside white people in combat until the Korean War. Oh man. So yeah,
1: I've almost forgotten how racist we are.
0: Oh man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they were ordering all black units of the U S army during world war one to charge trench lines in the minutes leading up to the armistice that everybody knew was coming. That <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That sounds about right. Yeah. That tracks.
0: The U S army doesn't have a great history on this. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, so when Yang was forced into this unit, um, so, you know, like I said, he wasn't in the SS. So I guess he has won over on tourney from earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. The Nazis tended to know an army full of POWs uh, from the Eastern Front probably should not be sent to the Eastern Front. So they yeah. shipped them all off to the Western Front. Uh, and that is how Yang force-gumped his way into another major battle in history. D-Day. Oh boy. <laughs> Yang was stationed on Omaha Beach. <laughs> this guy's luck, man. It's yeah.
1: just, it sounds like my love life.
0: Yeah. Uh, When American troops landed on Omaha Beach on June 6th of 1944, Yang and his OSS Battalion buddies were were some of the tens of thousands of German soldiers dug in against them. Uh, Yang's unit broke and ran, however, and Yang was once again captured and became a POW. This time he was captured by the 101st Airborne Division. Um, on the Flyboys. okay yeah uh now this is where we have to come out and say that there is some contention of the existence of yang um this contention pretty much only comes from the south korean government uh uh, there might be a good reason for this like it's not cool to accept that like um your countrymen went off and fought for the nazis but uh, they did just claiming
1: he doesn't exist.
0: Yes. uh, They did a whole documentary where they said, Nope, Yang didn't exist. But at the same time, they also made a movie of his life called my way. So uh, (laughs) uh, they claimed to have no record of his existence, which makes sense as one South Korea did not exist at the time. And the Kwantung army one either, because they said he died three years and two armies ago. So Mm. why would they think Yang existed when Yang died at the battle of
1: Right, right, of course. Okay. So but the, there's just a Yang corpse in that army now.
0: Right, zombie. Uh, now, we do have some proof. As um, Since he was captured by the U.S. Army, who is very good at taking a lot of notes, um, mm-hmm. U.S. Army Officer Robert Brewer from E. Company 2nd Battalion Five Hundred Six Infantry Regiment processed four strange Asian-looking German POWs. Um, mm-hmm. Brewer noted that three of them spoke German and Russian and explained them they were, in fact, Turkmen. And they don't know where the other dude came from. We can't talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> um, eventually they found out that he spoke Korean and another soldier would translate for him. And then they shoved his ass into a POW camp.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> of course, as you do. Yeah. Eventually Yang was transferred to a camp in the U S where he'd finally be a- allowed to wait out the end of the war. Um mm-hmm. The US Army did not draft Yang. It turns out. <laughs> I'm partially convinced that the entirety of World War II was just Yang fighting himself in various different uniforms. And not understanding a single word. <laughs> just that, that entire time, having not having a clue what's happening. Like, I'm 99% sure he fought the entire war without even knowing who Adolf Hitler was.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm
0: just, I'm
1: given a gun. I'm pointed off in that direction. I guess I'm just going to do that or die.
0: Yeah. Um and because the US didn't want to send him back to Korea for various reasons going at the time, uh, it was pretty mm. much a death sentence sending him back to South Korea now during the partition going on there between the the red north and the american supported south. So they let him stay yeah. in the US. Um he got released from a POW camp and settled in Illinois, which might be the biggest fuck you of this entire story. Really. <laughs> like why Illinois? Like imagine surviving Nazi POW camps, Russian gulags, and the Japanese Kwantung army only to be like, yeah, you can live in fucking Illinois and nowhere else.
1: <laughs> Wait, they told them they could only live in Illinois. That seems, <laughs> that seems like cruel and unusual punishment.
0: Well, I, I, as I know and remember it, I could be wrong, uh, that when the U S allowed POWs to settle in the U S they, um, they kept pretty rigid track of them and didn't allow them to move very freely. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That tracks. Yeah. He finally died in 1992. And I'm personally a little surprised that he wasn't forced to fight in every succeeding American war between World War II and his death. Like, like, all right, Yang, off to Vietnam, you go. Okay, Yang, off to fucking Iraq. See, That's why we lost Vietnam. We didn't have our good luck charm. Yeah. And then he would end up fighting for North Vietnam and things would get awkward.
1: They would get awkward. Yeah, Yeah,
0: you're right. And that is the horribly tragic story of yang the man who fought and you know he's noted as being the only person to fight on every single side of world war ii um and not
1: understand why he was doing
0: it yeah i mean yeah you have to think a fucking half illiterate peasant rail yard worker from manchuria probably did not know what was going on in europe at the time and then he ended up taking part in like all of the major battles of World War, like the only thing missing is that he wasn't at Stalingrad and he didn't f- like fly a plane during the Battle of Britain or something
1: exactly it seems like a wild story
0: yeah and I, I I hope he died happy, knowing that all the the Japanese officers who gave his life made his life a living hell definitely died in World War two and he didn't
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the ultimate fuck you surviving,
0: yeah, and that's what brings us to our final story um And back to Asia, to someone Mike might be familiar with, and that is Generalissimo Chiang Kai Shek.
1: Oh boy, (laughs) the father of our of our country. There,
0: let's see, dear leader, Mm -hmm. dear our dear leader. Um, for people not Mike and not familiar with Kai-shek, he was the ultra-nationalist, some would say fascist leader of the Chinese Nationalist Party. Some. Um, <laughs> some some people, would say. Uh, or Kuomintang, or they also call it the KM, KMT. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, Mike. You, you'd probably be the best presenter here. Was the KMT, are the KMT still fascist? Well,
1: the party still exists in in its uh, current form in in Taiwan, um, I, they were part of an election recently for the presidency, and uh, they they are the political party that's more mostly associated with the Taiwanese independence. And I think they just lost last presidential election. So the the, the landscape is kind of political landscape is kind of changing in Taiwan. The, the a lot of the younger people in Taiwan want to be a part of China, and a lot of older people don't. But Everybody knows who Chiang Kai Shek is.
0: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's it's interesting that. Well, I mean that that divide of not wanting to be part of China but also wanting to be part of China is is it more rooted in reality that they know if they declare like unilateral independence that China will blow them out of the fucking sea, or is it that they still hope that one day that they'll retake China?
1: Um, I, I think at this point, with how big China's get, getting has gotten. There's no chance of you know the quote unquote legitimate government and I'll claim that for life you know to ever regain power um and I think it, it at this point it's probably best to just cut our losses and you know try to try to assimilate ourselves into one of the most dominant economies of the current century and and also in particular in recent years uh Taiwan used to be able to count on America as as an an ally to protect us from uh, Chinese aggression. And, you know, ever since 2016, we haven't felt like that we could rely on our American ally in that way. So the the landscape is, is changing a little bit where we're seeing less Western support. And we're trying a lot of the younger people in Taiwan are leaning towards China, that support that we used to get from America.
0: And is there like free movement between the two or is, uh, or is China not so happy with that?
1: Um, as of a couple of years ago, they had opened up tourism between the two countries for the first time. And I think that was back in 2012. Uh, I think nowadays there, there is um, immigration between the two, but I don't know if it's like completely open yet. I'm not sure about that. It's been a couple of years since I've been back.
0: Interesting. Um, so, We aren't going to be talking about Chiang Kai-shek directly. Uh, Instead, we're going to be talking about his son, Chang Wei Ko, Mm. Um, which is going to be interesting that uh, I I think Mike can explain here a little bit. Uh, Ko was actually born in Tokyo to a Japanese woman and a Chinese father uh, who was not not actually Chiang Kai-shek himself. Rather, he was some dude named Chai Tao. Tao was having an affair uh, while the Kuomintang was exiled to Japan by the Beiyang government. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to bring his side piece kids home with him and ruin his marriage. So he just kind of handed them off to Shek. What? <laughs> now, okay. do you think a, a, a half Japanese adopted kid would have a hard time growing up in Taiwan?
1: Uh, that'd be a pretty hard time.
0: <laughs> I, it, it, I don't. Care. All right. If
1: someone handed a kid to me, and was like, he's your problem now. I would not be like, OK, I would not that would not say that
0: that's bananas, which is weird because uh, Chiang Kai-shek has several uh, actual like kids of his own. It's weird that he yeah, would yeah, just exactly. accept somebody else's um, mm-hmm. and that that adoption thing would be something that Ko would deny and even fistfight people about if they brought it up. So, yeah, he handled that adoption real well. And, like, it's really obvious that he's not Chiang Kai-shek's son. He looks nothing like
1: him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to the, to the untrained eye, maybe we might still look alike.
0: Well, he's very obviously Japanese. Oh, okay, I gotcha. It's, it's a very dominant facial trait that he has, that, that Chiang Kai-shek is distinctly missing.
1: I, I hear you. It's the eyes thing. It's all in the eyes, man. It's... Yeah. it's magic
0: distinction go ahead <laughs> uh, so Ko actually had an older brother named Ching uh, who was sent to Moscow uh, for school mm. but it was also around the same time that uh, the Communist Party and the Nationalist Party in China were having a rift so Moscow just kind of took him hostage and wouldn't let him go home oh shit um, so they're
1: really good at hanging on to
0: people you know? yeah Yeah, it's, it's something they, they're, they're good at making people disappear uh, Yeah. yeah. Time and time again. So when Ko came of age, Shek had only one place to send his one free son for an education. Mm-hmm. And if you've been paying attention to the episode, you know where he's going. And that is, is that the German the German military academy at Munich, known as the Kriegschule. Uh, uh, the motherland. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, being a national nationalist government, um, Chiang Kai-shek put a, a pretty big importance on his military, and military education, at right. least as far as like Nepotism went like he wanted his mm-hmm. kids to have the best education, even though the entire uh, Kuomintang's military was incredibly defunct and stupid. Um, yeah, of course. Ko uh, <laughs> would not be one of the stupid leaders, uh, he would actually be one of the best, and the Germans are the reason why. Um, oh, okay. I mean, obviously, his goal was not just for his son to get a good education, but also a modern military education he'd be able to bring home and serve the nationalist cause. Um, mm-hmm. He graduated at the top of his class, despite not actually knowing German before showing up. Uh, he, he he so kind of just, just taught himself.
1: Typical Asian thing: just go into a new school and then excelling.
0: Yeah, like he taught himself German while also learning in German. It's insane. It's such a Chinese thing to do, but go on. <laughs> he uh, <laughs> he completed his basic training and attended the elite German School of Alpine Warfare. And earn the Edelweiss sleeve insignia, which is like a small white flower. Um, okay, it's the sign of like an elite soldier. Um, and the only way you can get that flower um, is by climbing a mountain where it grows, and it's like ten thousand feet above sea level. Wow. Yeah, uh, that sounds like
1: one of the the actual trials that like Hercules has to go on.
0: Yeah, it's it's not easy, and that's like to the point that when um, like people were. Like, German soldiers, even all the way through World War II, they'd, like, wear the Edelweiss on their uniform. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think in Band of Brothers, it shows um, somebody, like, plucking one off a uniform and talking about it. I don't remember, though.
1: Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: He was also really, really good with weapons. um, As in all of his pictures, he's wearing a German marksmanship lanyard, also known as a Schuchensneer, which is um, not... Easy to get. I actually have one, and it fucking sucks. Like I imagine, it was. <laughs> I imagine it was way harder back then.
1: It's just an overachiever. it Sounds yeah.
0: like yeah. By 1938, Co um, was a sergeant officer's cadet and given command of a tank. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It is around this time that Germany annexed its neighbor Austria. Uh, this is actually oh, nice. yeah. This is known as the Austrian Anschluss. Um, now. There's a lot to this event that we're not going to get into. Just know that Germany was heavily involved in the Austrian Nazi movement that also included allowing Austrians to vote in German elections, which would eventually lead to the Nazis winning a bunch right. of seats in the Reichstag. People got assassinated. Eventually, things came to an to a head. And by 1937, people were openly talking about taking Austria by force. Um, mm. In 1938, Hitler was demanding that power be given to the Austrian Nazi party or he would invade. Um, the Austrians would not go down that easily and refuse to appoint a Nazi chancellor, which is you know how Hitler came to power. Uh, so Hitler went all Hitlery and invaded them instead. Um, mm-hmm. That is as what, Hitler does yeah as Hitler as Hitler's do. You know he'd be crazy. Yeah, yeah. On uh, yeah, March twelfth, nineteen thirty-eight, Co. and the German army stormed across the border to cheering crowds of Austrians. Uh, now this uh, this looks like. Um, like a triumph of victory. All the pictures show like <laughs> Austrians clapping and cheering for the German soldiers. Um, yeah. And it's kind of seen as the first major test of German power, which would lead to world war two. Uh, in reality, it was a totally confused clusterfuck and German units got lost, broke down and ran into one another. <laughs> um, Yikes. It none sounds of this like the really, US Army. Yeah. And, and you know, none of this really mattered because the Austrian government uh, ordered their army to not resist uh, the, the German army. Otherwise, okay. there'd probably be a lot of dead German soldiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Apparently, Ko did good enough uh, in the middle of all this to get promoted, and he was commissioned a full lieutenant in the German Wehrmacht. Oh, man. Uh, he was given a full command of an entire platoon of tanks, which I don't know about uh, 1939. That's, in, in modern day, that's four tanks. So he, he was given a fair amount of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And then him and his unit were awaiting deployment to Poland, where they would uh, take part in the event that would actually spark World War II. Um, oh, shit! But that wasn't in store for our, our boy Ko. Uh He was before he was given orders to mobilize. I think uh, his dad realized that his son was about to get involved with some real, real shit, and then recalled him, <laughs> to, and, and then quickly recalled him to China. Uh, and but then he took part in the Japanese uh, the the Chinese fighting against Japan's uh, invasion during World War II.
1: Uh, That's crazy. So he just found he just finds out one day that my son is actually fighting a war. Oh, no, no, you're going to need to come back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think crazy. I don't know if he was like told about the Anschluss beforehand or like I, am, I imagine there was significant censorship of any letters that Ko was sending back to China about like an, up, an upcoming military operation. Yeah. So his dad probably didn't realize it happened until like, there's this weird Asian guy driving a tank through fucking, uh, Vienna. Like, Oh, that's yeah, my it kid.
1: Suspiciously <laughs> like your son was no longer with us for yeah. some reason.
0: Yeah. Oh, 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 shit's getting real.
1: Just a coincidence. I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that, and then he ended up fighting the Japanese and he, he was one of the, the most successful nationalist commanders of the war. Um, He fought Mm -hmm. hilariously enough is the tanks he was using in in the Chinese uh, war was, you know, M4 Shermans, things like that, uh, because they were just given tons and tons of weapons by the allies to fight the Japanese. Um, Mm -hmm. And then after the war, uh, the nationalist government was teetering from massive widespread destruction of almost every layer of society from Long, brutal years fighting against the Japanese. Uh, they also, uh, they, so the nationalists had a significantly larger military than Mao's uh, communist forces. Uh, they yeah. were also better trained and equipped. Uh, this has a lot to do with the Western Allies opening up a heavy weapons pipeline uh, to resist the Japanese. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that uh, Ko's dad was so corrupt, however, that even college-educated Chinese students, uh, the, you know, the same people Mao would mock and later execute, uh, joined the communists anyway out of sheer disgust of all the problems of the nationalist government. Um, mm. so to make matters worse when the civil war did kick off the nationalist generals and other officers were generally promoted out of political loyalty to shek rather than any actual skill um uh. yeah like like any good despotic government um mm-hmm. this loyalty to the chain of command ended pretty much as soon as it branched away from Kaishek, though with subordinate leaders refusing to listen to one another and actively backstabbing another in order to get uh like uh, in the favor of the party leader.
1: So that sounds very familiar actually. It kind of sounds like the uh, current administration but
0: Yeah, like it, it, it's nothing but backstabbing and political maneuvering all while attempting to fight a war and it did nothing but completely fuck over the nationalist army. Uh, yeah. Now uh, that's to be said, I don't think the Nationalists would have won, even with the functioning military, because Mao was just so good at leading a people's war. Not so good mm. at governance, it turns out, but uh, no. a really good uh, guerrilla leader. was um, really good at starving
1: people, apparently.
0: Yeah, and f- making fucking pig iron in backyards and chasing sparrows around with pots and pans. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um this explains uh, why co who was a lieutenant when the war started was a general by the time it was over <laughs> only a couple oh, years later man. um it should be said all nepotism uh, aside he was the one of the best leaders in the nationalist army so while well, some of the the promotions were definitely nepotism related like a lot of them were skill skill related um
1: See, Taiwanese people love sending their kids to, to Western schools and Western academies. And I didn't know that it started all the way back from the founding father of our country. That's, that's <laughs> crazy. I had no idea. It it set the example. It's a tradition now. That's it weird, ours. too. If you, if you have any money at all or any sort of influence, you don't let your kids go to school in the country you live in. No, you don't do that. You send them across the entire country and the entire planet and you let them go to school in like Germany or America or something like that. Is that very, because they s-
0: Do they see like Taiwanese schools as not being good cuz I mean the the general no, thought is Asian schools are all better than ours.
1: It's not that it's not that um Asian schools aren't good it's that um western western schools have more recognition. Oh, okay. and uh, Like the the whole saving face thing is is very big in um in Taiwanese culture and in, in I want to say most Asian culture. So you know, it's not necessarily about what kind of education you get. It's about how, how big then is the pull, is the recognition of this, of the school that you get, get into. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, most of those schools are in the Western part of the world. So that's, that's where Taiwanese people send their kids eventually.
0: Interesting. Um, yeah, it's always kind of, because we, um, in, in Texas, we would train, um, and and when I was at Fort Knox, from time to time, we would train Taiwanese armor officers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it was always really weird that they would come over to train on M1A1 main battle tanks when they were using like forty-year-old vehicles in Taiwan. But it was yeah, yeah, yeah. it was more the the uh, the claiming hierarchy type shit. Like, well, I went to school in the U.S., so I guess that's making sense now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm
1: yeah they just get they get to say that you know they have they have that good american western training and that somehow puts them you know head and shoulders above their peers that's it that's how taiwanese people view like any sort of western institution is that oh it's in the west it must be good i don't know if that's true necessarily but well i mean i'm a little biased when i talk
0: about how amazing our armor education is but i digress (laughs) Um, you know the, the multiple reasons why the nationalist army lost in the Chinese Civil War can be summed up by U.S. General Barr. He was a U.S. military observer for the nationalist army who said, "Quote." Their military debacles, in my opinion, can all be attributed to the world's worst leadership and many other morale-destroying factors that led to a complete loss of the will to fight. The complete Mm -hmm. ineptness of high military leaders and widespread corruption and dishonesty throughout the armed forces could, in some measure, have been controlled and directed had the above authority and facilities been available. So, yeah, the the Nationalist Mm -hmm. Army was a bunch of shit. Um, So we fucked up.
1: We fucked ourselves up.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, I feel like that's most armies and nations led by like the great man theory. Like, cause without Chiang Mm Kai-shek there would have been no nationalist movement and the whole, the whole party just orbited around him and he he,
1: led with charm instead of, you know, having actual policies.
0: Yeah. And he was corrupt as fuck himself. So that was kind of like one of those, well, if he can get away with it, (laughs) yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it just trickled all the way down to the lowest fucking private.
1: Uh, I see. I see a little bit of that happening in the Philippines right now, too, with uh, I think his name's D- Duterte or something like that. Oh, Duterte. Duterte
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, with corrupt at the top and it, it's starting to trickle down all the way to the bottom.
0: Well, when your president oh. openly talks about raping and murdering people, like that definitely sends a message. Yeah, it's
1: not a good look. It's no, not good look. it's
0: not. It's not. Um, like most people, uh, when the Nationalist Army fell, uh, Ko and everybody else fled to Taiwan. Or what is now known as the Republic of China. uh, Mm -hmm. To some people.
1: (laughs) To some some people.
0: Uh, So because of his position as a war hero and the son of the dictator, uh, Ko continued to hold senior positions within the army and in the new one-party state based on the island. That was until 1964 when Ko really fucked up. Oh, what do you do now? So, during a staff meeting of the 1st Armor Division, of which Ko was the commander, an argument broke out about the state of the country. Uh, not in disloyalty against Kai Shek, of course. Um, this mm. was between Ko and his deputy commander, General uh, Chao Chi Hua. And they were arguing that their leader was surrounded by corrupt officials and uh, they needed to deploy their forces to Taipei to cleanse the <laughs> government of them. Indefinitely. So it wasn't that (laughs) Chiang Kai-shek was leading an awful government. It was like all the people around him are bad and must go.
1: Um, Yeah, it sounds like corruption all the way down.
0: Yeah, so they're they're leading something of like a really soft military coup. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because this is 1960s Taiwan, however... Every single unit had a political officer. Uh like oh, man! In the same vein that the USSR had, um, these guys would be remembered as commissars. Uh, the political officer uh, at the time had power over anybody of any rank if they were talking about disloyalty. Um, right. And because these guys are dumb as shit, the political officer <laughs> was in the room. Uh, so they uh. so the political officer arrested the commander and the deputy commander. <laughs> Well, I guess that's that. Uh, well, not really. Short and sweet. Because oh, no? uh, Hua, being a a regular army officer, was swiftly sentenced to death. Um, but Ko, being Kai Shek's son, was spared any real punishment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Instead, he was effectively barred from holding any real military power ever again. Um, he mm-hmm. wasn't um, like demoted. He wasn't sent away to like I don't know the farm up north for shitty old military officers um, yeah. he was like just banished to work at a military academy forever uh, <laughs> which I, I suppose is a punish I don't know I guess he actually has to work there I,
1: I think he got off pretty easy you know for, for treason
0: yeah yeah Just and, having to work
1: in school is not too bad
0: especially because the guy he was planning with fucking swung at the gallows for it
1: yeah exactly exactly The other dudes dead. yeah he got off pretty light.
0: Yeah. And, f- and, you know, finally, when Chiang Kai-shek died in 1983, this uh, like blank check of him getting away with everything kind of went away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led to a slight political liberalization of Taiwan. Um, and that was known as like the localization movement, also known as like the Taiwanized Nation movement. Um, it refers to the empowerment of the local Taiwanese uh Culture that had long been oppressed during the mass migration of Han Chinese from the mainland after the defeat oh, of the nationalism. Um, and I'm sure you can talk a little bit about that. Um,
1: yeah the, the the local the local people um, they they look a little bit different than than the Han Chinese people, and they're segregated in their own little communities in, in Taiwan, um, and very similar to the way that Native Americans are segregated in in uh, in, in America and. In, I just kind of think it's an interesting kind of parallel that they both uh, Native Americans and Native Taiwanese people, they both feel like they're oppressed by the the new people who came into their land and took away their homes. So now the Natives, they live in the mountains and uh, they have a poor standard of education and standard of life and a lot very similar to some Native American tribes that are on these reservations. So it's kind of a sad story. And that goes on to this day, huh? yep still it still happens to this day it, it's kind of like uh australia too with the aborigines wow. um it it just seems kind of like you know if you if you're slightly darker skinned than the people who come bearing guns then you know they're gonna they're gonna think that you're lesser than that's kind of something story. that's
0: common in chinese culture i think uh even in the yeah. mainland um the uyghur people in the far west of of china the the muslim uyghurs are uh getting pushed out of their own territory and thrown in effectively concentration camps while the Chinese government yeah. encourages Han Chinese to move into the area and kind of like manifest destiny, the Uyghurs out of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's something that you don't really expect to be seeing much in 2018 because you just think, you know, um, hopefully the the planets moved past that, but um, it's pretty evident in some places around the world, even in some places that we think are pretty first world, right. uh, not, not all the way, not in, not in the entire country anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, thankfully, um, and it like to, in order to to counter this, uh, localization movement, um, Co. decided that the only way to stop these goddamn natives from getting unrestive is, uh, to run for president. Yeah. Oh. And uh, he failed miserably in 1990 Ooh. because, even though he's Chiang Kai Shek's son, everybody knew he was kind of an asshole. And yeah, yeah. and once you got rid of one Shek, you don't want to or one Ching, you don't want to elect another one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lesson. yeah. I mean, yeah. I I definitely think he probably would have been worse than his dad, um, especially mm. because the main thing that and, that and, you know, motivated him to run was native people having rights. So, yeah, <laughs> not a good look. Um, uh, that seems
1: like a pretty bad dude.
0: Yeah, uh, finally, Co kind of disappeared from uh, from the public conscious and was about ready to fade off r- into the ether. Uh, but then his maid was found dead in his house. Um, <laughs> that, what? That's a strange. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, so they found a uh, police found his maid uh, dead from a gunshot wound, um, and I can imagine that. Gun ownership in Taiwan is pretty strictly limited, uh, and yeah, it's
1: very low. I was about to, I was about to ask, like, where did he get a gun from?
0: Which makes us the rest of us even uh, stranger, because when police searched his house, they found a massive cache of illegal weapons. What? Um, at least uh, it was like sixty to eighty different firearms.
1: But that seems like it would, would fit right in in America, but that seems very weird.
0: Right, this isn't anybody's funny. house in like fucking Mississippi or something, but yeah, yeah. Uh, this is like a military, like he lived, uh, in military housing in Taipei. Um, I guess the way it worked, I'm sure you can tell me if I'm right or wrong was like, if you're a general officer, the military kind of just gives you a mansion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the mayor's mansion or the governor's mansion. If you're, if you're a general, you get one too.
0: Yeah. And that was the house where he had all these weapons and they were all weapons from the army. Uh, okay. That (laughs) makes sense but which he definitely was still not allowed to have because he had not been allowed to have a military command now for almost 40 years. <laughs> yeah.
1: So he just murders his his maid.
0: Yeah, and one of the weapons uh was used in in, in the shooting and she was shot the way she was sh- shot was like right in the face um and oh, it dude. wasn't um like there was no gunpowder residue on her hands and it wasn't yeah. a, it wasn't a point blank shot or anything. Um so the Taipei police just declared it a fucking suicide and washed their hands of the entire <laughs> issue. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, apparently the being a Chang still helped him a little bit there.
1: Uh, Yeah, corruption runs deep. Let's Um, just say
0: that was finally what uh, made the Kuomintang kind of shun him. They didn't kick him out of the party, but they just didn't (laughs) allow him to go to meetings or, or have any party power anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, now totally powerless Ko spent the rest of his days petitioning the communist government of the mainland to allow his father to be buried in his hometown. Uh, Mm. this is actually apparently something that kind of still goes on, uh, where, uh, people want to be buried in the mainland under a Taiwanese flag and that, you know, Beijing just laughs at them.
1: Yeah. That sounds, that sounds about right.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I, I is, I assume everybody laughed and gave him the finger. Uh, this, mm-hmm. this this yep. kind of speaks volumes of how little the nationalists regard Taiwan, to me, at least. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I mean, this has been decades since the, the nationalists fled to Taiwan and set mm-hmm. up what is effectively an independent nation out on the island. Yeah, But this nation that they built still isn't good enough to store his corpse.
1: Yeah, it's just. It depends on, I guess, if you're talking to Taiwanese people, it depends on the generation that you speak to. A lot of the, I, I want to say Chinese people too, but I know more about the Taiwanese side. You know, the younger generations don't necessarily feel as much animosity towards uh, Chinese for, because they didn't necessarily experience the, you know, the actual conflicts, but the older generations all remember. So there's a pretty big divide between the old people and young people these days in Taiwan.
0: It seems to be the case with most things, in, in like the Chinese fear of influence over there with younger mm-hmm. people, like openly mocking Xi and and calling him the Pooh Bear and stuff like that. And, yeah, and then <laughs> mysteriously getting disappeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One person gets sentenced to like five years in prison for, for
1: for that. I think so. Yeah, sounds right. I mean, China's I'm, doing a lot of crazy shit over there.
0: I think a lot of it has to do with like, they have the, the new, like the new age Mao almost like not in the insanity Mm. of like the great leap forward and the cultural revolution, but like in the strong man tactics. Um, absolutely. It's definitely his way or no way. Yeah. I mean, imagine my Twitter feed being from a Chinese person. I would be in jail so fucking fast.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only thing I use my Twitter for is to literally curse out the president of the United States. And that would definitely not fly. (laughs) In China, I would be, I would be disappeared for sure.
0: Oh yeah. Um, uh, and that was, uh, the, the, this petition to get the, his remains and his da- dad's remains moved to the mainland, uh, was so stupid. Even the nationalist government didn't support it. That's <laughs> not a good sign.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a good look when your own government's like, this is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. And it, it's you not know, gonna happen. it was a pretty big sign that the nationalist government and the party and, and the military was so over the Changs, um. Because uh, so Ching uh, Ko's son was not in the military, which, from my understanding, is pretty surprising
1: Um, Yeah, because we have mandatory military service.
0: Right. So he used his connections to get his kid out of it effectively. Uh,
1: Nepotism.
0: Yeah. Which certainly never happens in any other nation of the conscription. No, of course not. Uh, uh, But. Ko wanted to move out of Taipei. Uh, Obstensibly, it was for health, but it was probably to get away from the party who hated him. Yeah. Um, And uh, so when he did that, he handed his house over to his son, who had not served in the military. Um, This uh, being the house that was a military gift, effectively. Now, this had happened quite a few times from other leaders, and nobody really gave a shit. It was like just kind of accepted as par for the course. Um, So the government. In Coe's case, decided to not only kick his kid out of the house, they then fucking bulldozed it. What? <laughs> Gee, all
1: right, you're not welcome here anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, like that—that that is probably the most stern fuck you the government has ever put on anybody who is supposed to be benefiting from being the founding father's kid.
1: Yeah. Holy shit! I didn't know about that.
0: Yeah, uh, I didn't know that happened. Ko finally died in 1997 from kidney failure in a Taipei military hospital, Um, Mm. having only really achieved anything because his real dad really did not want to fuck up his marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, I can't imagine um, a half Japanese born out of uh, a half Japanese kid born out of wedlock was going to accomplish great things in China in the 1920s.
1: No. <laughs> I, funny enough, the, the hospital that he died in was the hospital that I was born in.
0: So, so what you're saying is you're the reincarnation of Chenko.
1: I'm continuing the legacy
0: and uh yeah, you'll you'll be seeing me
1: up for world domination soon. i have starting. Got to start with start small with Taiwan and then China, but world domination.
0: Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Uh, I I look forward for to s- KMT two the electric booger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's coming with
1: significantly less math.
0: Ah, oh, then less- you you have already won me over, sir. I I am yes. so terrible at math.
1: Just not one of those math Asians, man. I
0: just can't- <laughs> Oh man. So that's our story today. Uh, Mike, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I know. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We've known each other for almost a decade and a whole tour in Afghanistan and, um, you're on the other side of the country now, but I'm glad you could join us. It's always nice having like, like a firsthand witness to some of the stupid history on the show.
1: Mm -hmm. And some of it is pretty stupid. I definitely agree with you. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's our, kind of our brand is dumb history. Um, Like, I probably would have called the show Drunk History if Comedy Central didn't already beat me to it. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) um, But, you know, I look forward maybe uh, later on having you on again. Um, Yeah, absolutely. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, Thanks. And uh, for everybody else, uh, do you want to pimp out your Twitter account or anything for people to follow for you screaming at the ether of, of President Trump?
1: Uh, I don't, I don't post anything other than like literally fuck you, Trump on my Twitter. <laughs> there's no, there's no need. There's no need. I, I just, that's my outlet preventing my frustration towards the current administration, but uh, they should follow you. You should throw throw throughout your, your various social media handles.
0: <laughs> well, if you want to follow the show, uh, you can follow us at lions underscore by, you can follow me at JCast ninety nine. Uh, you can follow Nick uh even though he hardly posts more than Nick at Nick cast m one and um our show will always be free, but if you want access to our bonus uh content, you can give us a dollar or so on Patreon if you think we're worth it and uh help support the show uh you'll probably hear Mike's life story and his time with the hooligans on there shortly, so I look forward to that um Everybody else, we will talk to you later. take it easy over there on the East Coast there, hey. Mike.
1: Hey, uh, take it easy, man. Hi, this is Nate Bethay, and I'm the producer of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. This show is brought to you by Audible. And as it just so happens, Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30 day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash donkeys and browse the selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. Once again, that's www.audibletrial.com forward slash donkeys to get started.